A lot has been happening in the world of big tech that has direct implications for our industry and the way the public is fed information online. Two of the world's largest technology groups have been in the news along with those seeking to hold them accountable. And today we're bringing an expert to discuss how this accountability might play out and what it could mean for the way we advertise. Thanks for joining us. And this is Life of the Brand. Welcome to Life of the Brand, the show where we keep you up to date on the latest news and trends in the world of advertising and promotion. I'm Kevin Wade here with my co-host Brian Wink. Thanks for joining us today, and uh, let's let's get to it. Yeah, before we jump in, uh, since this is our first Life of the Brand in uh, in almost two years, let's talk about how this podcast came about um, and uh, talk about what we hope it does for you, the listener, moving forward. Um, so, I mean, it, a few years ago, we started uh, the idea of a company called Life of the Brand uh, that existed as uh, kind of any sort of multimedia that we wanted, right, Brian? That was kind of your... That was your hope and a, a way for us uh, as an advertising agency, those who work in an advertising agency, to be able to share our thoughts and opinions um, beyond just what we talked about with clients and what we talked about kind of in the office. Yeah, it, really, it started, um, I had uh, a couple surgeries and I was laid up in uh, at home for a while and, and I started a blog because I literally had nothing else to do except watch their or sit there and binge watch Netflix and Prime and everything else. And I seemed like I'd already gone through all the movies. So uh, I started doing some writing and, and Life of the Brand really started as a blog. And then when I got back to the office, we all started kind of talking about it. And, and the blogs that, that were being written became subjects of conversation around the, the office. And uh, during one of our beers and cheers, I think someone just kind of said, hey, you know, this is some really good stuff. We ought to be be sharing this. And, you know, it just kind of like like things usually do in an advertising agency. It just kind of caught fire. And then the next thing you know, it's happening. So, yeah, like things happen over beers on Friday. Somebody says this is cool. We should shoot YouTube videos about it. <laughs> and then by Monday, you got viral stuff, whether you want it or not. Exactly. That's fun. So, yeah, it, it existed for a while as a blog, for a while as a vlog on YouTube, uh, which was a ton of fun. And now we're, we're bringing it back as a podcast. And I think uh, uh, our, our hope here is to really just uh, keep the keep the same style and the same goal behind what it was last time, which is just keep bringing information about the advertising industry from the perspective of, uh, of people in the advertising industry. We hear a lot in the news uh, and a lot all over about uh, things happening with big companies like Google and Apple and how their advertising has implications on the way we live. But very rarely do you actually hear about it from the, from the perspective of someone who's in the advertising industry. Yeah, I think there's a lot that goes into it. And, um, you know, this is what we do day in and day out. And, and this is what our careers are are built on. And one of the things is we all got into this business for different reasons. But one of the similar reasons that we all got into it was the desire to help companies grow, the, the desire to have impact on brands. And one thing that we realized with the enormous um variety of clients that we're currently working with is that a lot of these brands are in different stages of their brand cycle. And that's where life of the brand really came in into play was 
um, you have a life cycle, you have a brand cycle and, and brands have to constantly evolve and they go into different phases of their, their lives. And we really talk about and, and approach things from here's how this kind of works. Here's what this is, is meant to be. Don't try to make it be something that it's not. Uh, here's here, understand what the expectations could be for doing something like this. And a lot of companies are, are do-it-yourselfers and, and can't afford uh, doing it through companies all the time. And, and they jump in there. And, and a lot of times they tend to use their budget in non-profitable ways for them and, and not producing an ROI. And so really what I wanted life of the brand to be when we got started was that learning point for uh, brands and, and marketing directors and, and even the, the guys that have graduated and the, the ladies that have graduated from school, from college, and are entering into the, the industry, they really don't have a clear understanding of how things work um, in a real life situation. A textbook and real life are two different things. And so this hopefully uh, kind of lends itself to giving them a little bit of guidance as well. I think uh, in the interest of that, we're gonna we're, we're gonna address topics in a few different ways. We really want to dig into uh, first what's happening in the world of advertising right now. What are the things that uh, that one you need to be paying attention to and that can help you learn um, it, when it comes to your own advertising or being an advertising professional, but also. The advertising industry is crazy. We're a bunch of creatives. We're a bunch of, uh, you know, on to the next thing, things coming out of our brains all the time, things coming out of our mouths all the time. And that creates some pretty amusing news uh, as far as the advertising industry goes. So we're going to share, uh, we're going to share on uh, advertising news and um, more recent advertising trends. Uh, we're hoping to bring in um, some interviews, some professionals to be able to speak to some of these trends and things that are going on. Also speaking and digging deeper into advertising services, why, uh, why they're important for businesses uh, all over, try and provide some context and perspective to, um, to a certain amount of services in the digital realm, traditional realm, why do they work together? Um, how can we help educate those out there, uh, again, who are going to be prefer uh, who are professionals in the industry or who are looking to use advertising in their own business? How do we educate them? Uh, where do they go first? How do we help them understand uh, kind of what's going on and what the, what the status quo in advertising is and where to go from there? Um, so without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and turn our attention to this week in the world of advertising. Brian, uh, what'd you dig up? Um, one of the stories that's really big in the industry right now is Stan Richards, who founded the Richards Group 44 years ago in Dallas, just had to step down from his own agency because of a comment that he made that was insensitive to some of the social movements. And because of one comment, and you know, I'll go ahead and say, say what it was, they were in inside a meeting and they were looking at an ad concept and Stan Richards said, that concept is too black. No that's a, way. Yeah, that's a tough one to, to swallow right now. Um, it quickly got to the client, which was Motel 6 and Motel 6 immediately pulled their account from the Richards group. Holy and God. then it got out to 
really to the the rest of them and the and then it just it started downhill from there and you can't stop it but the the other accounts that left the richards group was home depot the keurig group dr pepper the salvation army and oh, heb man. one so, comment one comment one comment got all of that that moving and so you know and and to to stan's credit what he said was was unexcusable but to his credit he is taking ownership of what he said he's taking responsibility for his actions he is addressing the insensitive nature of what he said and and uh making efforts to try to be more educated in that that realm than what he previously was but um it really goes it, it's interesting to me uh that that it, the fallout was so fast oh and in this i mean r- right now when everything is basically the speed of an internet connection um i the the i could see the fallout being instantaneous and that just goes to to show how how uh, how public this industry can be sometimes it's when you look at someone like Stan Richards, someone who's the CEO of a, it, they, they have thousands of people on staff over there in Dallas. It is a huge advertising agency. And as an advertising agency, we were saying that we are the voice of our clients. We are speaking for our clients. Our clients trust us to be their voice. And so that immediately puts you in a fishbowl. However big that fishbowl is, uh, kind of depends on who the client is, what they're doing, how big your agency is. But that's almost celebrity status. If you talk Talk about the fishbowl and the impact your words have uh, and how quickly those sort of things can disseminate out into the public. Um, I, I feel like Stan Richard's position as CEO of an advertising agency that large um, is, 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 yeah, it's almost celebrity status as far as, uh, as, far as the accountability of your words. Um, and that's huge. Yeah. That's something that we talk with clients about all the time, not only the accountability of their own words, but also the accountability that we hold for them as an advertising agency. And if you can convince a client that, 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 that you will hold yourself accountable for the words that you're saying, not only on their behalf, but the words that you're saying to represent yourself as an agency, that can make you very successful at the same time. It puts you in that fishbowl. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know that's one of the things about uh, an advertising agency, these companies, these brands are not just trusting you with their budget. They're trusting you with so much more than the budget. They're trusting you with the care of their brand. They're, they're trusting you with the growth of their brand. Think about this. And, and this isn't going to be a shock to you, Kevin, because uh, we talk about this all the time, especially in training. And it's one of the first things we discuss when you come on board with our group, which is you do not only represent our company, Griffin Wink Advertising, you also represent every single brand that we work with and represent. And that means that you have to really be considerate of, of your actions, of your comments, and how you interact and, and uh, who you interact with on, on that level, on, on that stage. And there are people's jobs that are going to be lost now because of one comment and not just a couple, hundreds. Yeah, the teams behind every single one of those clients that left. In an agency that big, you basically have segmented little agencies devoted to each different client. And every single one of those people is now out of job. That's that's insane. There is a 
we have a former team member of ours that went to work for another agency in Dallas and uh, she's on the social media team. There are 32 other people on that social media team just for that one account. That's mind blowing. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's sometimes advertising creatives and advertising people sometimes forget about the implications that our actions and, and our, our comments and everything else has. And that what we do, it does matter. It does affect people's lives. I mean, there are people that are going to be looking for a new job and not just at a regular time inside a global pandemic that that is just catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And that go but, that 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 spurs a, a larger conversation that I'm not sure if we have time to go into right now about just uh, accountability online in general. Uh, if you are connecting yourself to any brand, not even as an ad agency, but um, especially in an election year, um, accountability in what you say online. Um, mm-hmm. This this happened every every election season. We as an agency have this problem where we deal with the fallout um, of a client who has a, an employee, someone that works for them, a team member who runs their mouth and gets the company in trouble. And it's not even that it's not even that that's how they meant it to be. But if you say on LinkedIn or on Facebook that you work at a certain company and then you make a a, a, a politically divisive statement, and not we're not just talking about opinions here and there, but there are some people that, I mean, I probably don't have to tell anybody listening, say some truly heinous things online, right? In attempts to get attention. Keyboard Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're, and if you're connected to uh, uh, where you work online, that brand is immediately thrown into the spotlight. It doesn't matter if you mentioned that you work for that brand, someone will find it and call your business up and say, Hey, did you know that the person that you hired, the person that's on your team said this, you need to rein them in. Do you believe this? Do you as a company believe this? We should boycott your company. Like it spirals out of control just that quickly. It's absolutely yeah. absurd. And it's just it's just the way it is, especially in an election season. Well, and, and here's the hard part about that is in today's environment, everything is one click away from going viral, yeah. from spreading out beyond control. One share click and you're done or one retweet, you're done. kind of advertising adjacent, but I think this is uh, probably the most interesting thing uh, I read this week. Uh, so Google's getting sued. I don't know if you, I don't know if you'd heard about this, but basically I may have got an email or two about it. Yeah, right. The, the, the Justice Department is uh, slapping Google with an antitrust lawsuit. And I mean, it's it's one of these things where when you read it, you're like, yeah, Google's been doing this forever. And they've they fought allegations like this in the past, but the fact that it's like the Justice Department that is now that is now bringing these allegations and is spearheading what is going to be a years long lawsuit, um, I thought that was pretty noteworthy. So uh, the case was filed on Tuesday. Um, last, yeah, the case was filed on Tuesday, just a few days ago, um, and the government is alleging that Google used billions of dollars collected from advertisements on its platform to pay for mobile phone manufacturers, carriers, browsers. You know any any third party uh, g- connected uh, company or service uh, 
to use Google and maintain Google as their preset default search engine, um, which they are saying creates uh, a, a self-reinforcing cycle of dominance and an unfair monopoly. So the idea is that, well, Google, because you're so big, you are just continuing to pay these people for you to be the, the preferred search provider. And that is creating an unfair monopoly. Um, and I, it, and it's, it's one of these things where, again, you hear that and you're just like, yeah, I mean, obviously Google being a large company, one of the largest tech companies in the entire world is, is of course going to uh, have the money and the power to make sure that their, uh, that, that, that their browser uh, is on these top platforms, being used by these top other companies. Um, but the, the, the thing that, and, and this is uh, Google's uh, Kent Walker, uh, Google's chief legal officer kind of, kind of, kind of laid out why he thinks that this doesn't have uh, legs to stand on. Um, he says people use Google because they choose to, not because they're forced to, or because they can't find alternatives. Like countless other businesses, we pay to promote our services, just like a cereal brand might pay a supermarket to stock its products at the end of a row or on a shelf at eye level. So what they're doing. Um, is, 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 is just business is what he's saying. This idea that of course we're paying to put our, ourselves here because we're able to, and it's a product that people already want to use. If this was a bad, if this was a product that people did not like, if the Google search engine had become something irrelevant, uh, like a few other not to be spoken of search engines, um, and various other platforms, but we're still just trying to pay through the roof to get people to carry their stuff. Like that makes sense that what that's not good business practice. Why are you doing that? All you're doing is paying to have this on here when your product is not is not something that would, would get there on its own merits. And what what Walker's saying basically is that no, 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 like we this is a platform that people love to use. And the fact that they keep using it, even though they have alternatives, it's not like it's not like we're locking people out of the market in a physical sense. It's just kind of in a business sense that they are monopolizing all these placements and locking what could be competitors out of the market, but it's not like people aren't still using Google and still value it as the number one search engine in the world. So I thought yeah. that was all very interesting. So my, my take on that is I agree with Google. And yeah. you know, just as a disclaimer, we are a Google agency uh, or a Google <laughs> partner agency, um, but most agencies are, uh, as are most freelancers and everything else. Now. Here's my, my spin on it, or here's my take on it is, if you go and you buy a PC, it already comes with Bing downloaded as the default browser. If you get an Android, which is Google, it comes with the Google default browser. What, you know what the first thing that people do when they get a new PC is? They, they change their default search engine to Google. How is that an antitrust? They literally, these people are going in and making a concerted effort to take the competitor off and put Google on because Google is providing a superior product. And at the end of the day, this isn't like Ma Bell or the oil industry or any of the other big, big monopolies that had to get broken up because at the end of the day, it's not a controlled cost to the end user. It is a bidding system in most cases um, to businesses that choose to advertise on there. You don't have to advertise on Google, 
there are a lot of other places you can go and advertise. But if you want to do certain things and hit a certain percentage of the market, then yeah, you go to Google, but it's a bidding process. I'm not being forced to spend a certain amount of money. I'm being allowed to use a budget in which I feel comfortable using to attract more, more business. Now, as far as the, as far as the end result of Google, the end result is I'm going on to the search engine, typing in what I need, and I'm being provide the, provided the information I am looking for. How is that antitrust? Uh, you're providing me a free product at the, the end of the day. Now, Google has a lot of additional divisions, not just the search engine, and it's not just AdWords and, and all those things. And I think you could say um, that there's an argument to be said on some of those secondary divisions. But as far as what the, the DOJ is going after, it, I just don't see it. I, I mean, it, it can't be an antitrust or a monopoly if I'm going in and make a, a concerted effort to not use somebody and use these guys instead. Yeah. And to, to your point, you brought up a great point that actually segues right into the next part of this article uh, from the Wall Street Journal that I'm looking at is that basically Google says, uh, you know, do, do you like having our stuff for free? Because if we lose this suit, if, 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 if this results in what you want it to result in, then it's going to result in higher prices for consumers because Google's going to have to raise the cost of its mobile software and hardware because they aren't going to be allowed to make that money through the relationships they make. Google provides at its core, at its base function, a free service, which is only maintained through the relationships that they can make with all these different companies that then place them as the default browser. So yeah, you want to bring Google down a peg? It's going to cost more for everyone. You you want us to make a little less money because you think it's a monopoly? It's going to cost more for you. Are you cool with that? And so there, there was a part here, there, there's a section at the end here that talks about potential uh, potential outcomes. Um, so a loss for Google would mean court order changes to how it operates uh, and how it operates part of its business, uh, potentially opening it up to rivals, which then the conversation is great. If you open up to rivals, are any of them going to actually stand the test of capitalism? Are they going to actually be something that people want to use? Are they going to weed themselves out and Google's going to naturally end up on top again? Um, yeah, and th basically right now the Justice Department is saying we're not even proposing particular remedies. Um, but they're saying nothing is off the table, which also kind of means that nothing's really on the table yet either. They're just trying to get the ball rolling on something that they think could could have an impact. Um, but I mean, well, honestly, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think some of this right now is posturing as well. Yeah. And I think and it's one of those things where, yeah, this is going to take years for them to actually go through this lawsuit. So it's almost like, uh, you know, it, they, they just want to show that, or a one way to look at it would be that the DOJ is just trying to show that they are attempting to hold big tech accountable, that people want to see action towards privacy online. People want to see action towards the lessering of monopolies. The, the whole idea of protecting America and the world against monopolies has become more bipartisan lately. Um, it, that there's, there's opponents on both sides for like, yes, we, we should do something to make the internet more private as well as make sure monopolies don't get out of hand. And it's like, it, but, but again, it's how, how do we do that? We're not even proposing solutions. We're just taking action and then we're hoping that it turns into something later. Yeah. And, and that's the point right there is, um, 
you know, if you think the timing of this case coming out is just a coincidence that we're having an election in less than two weeks, um, you're you're crazy because that's people are concerned about um, outside influence on our election system, whether it be the infrastructure of it or whether it be the uh, the the approach of persuading someone one way or the other based off of misinformation or um, unverified information or what it might might be. I think they picked the wrong one to go off, go after first. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the people are not happy with how much information is out there. And if you've watched the great hack on uh, Cambridge Analytica, it's pretty scary as, as to the amount of information that these guys all have and, and the ability to track us and, and provide marketing solutions to people at the right time. Now, being a marketing person, I'll advocate for, uh, wouldn't you rather see advertising for things that you are interested in instead of things that you are not interested in or that are not relevant to you? Um, but at the same time, you know, there's there's aspects of this case that have some virtue and there are some that, that just don't. But this is 100 percent a politically charged uh, move right now, in my opinion, um, to to show people that, uh, you know, they're going to they're going to hold people's feet to the fire, hold hold big tech to the fire, which people say they want. But if you really start breaking it down. If you think about the fallout of what's going to happen if we break the monopolies up, you're going to have some some pretty big issues pop up as well. People are going to be like, "What do you mean things aren't as easy to get done anymore?" It's like, "Well, that's the you know, it's that that that's the system where it's the system we're under." It's like a, a lot of the comfort that's been built up for for people are is based on everything coming from uh, a few very specific places and keeping it kind of streamlined. A lot of the comforts that 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 you enjoy, especially when we talk about searching online and being fed information online. Uh, have come about because Google owns directly 80% of the organic search share on the internet. So, I mean, it's, yeah, they, I think, I think it was going to take a while for people to realize that. Um, and I'm sure a lot more is going to come out about it, but that th this is actually in direct justice position, I think, uh, from an advertising standpoint as, uh, the tech company that we're going to talk about, uh, in our next topic, uh, you know, you talked about like what, what happens, um, when, when, uh, what happens to the advertisers and what happens to the advertising agencies who use Google as a partnership, if, if Google is all of a sudden under additional scrutiny, then we start talking about things like privacy, third party cookies, which of course, Google and Chrome have already said, yes, yes, by 2022, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have a, a, a solution for blocking third party cookies. Um, and, uh, you know, making sure that people are private and safe online. But there is a company that earlier this year decided to go ahead and move forward with that. Um, it move forward with that now and blocking a lot of third party uh, information on a, on a website, which is uh, which is what our next topic is going to be. Yeah, for our next segment, we're going to turn our attention away from Google for a second, but go to the next big uh, player that's in that same realm, and that is Apple. In March, Apple and its web browser Safari announced it's going to upgrade their intelligent tracking prevention 
to block all third-party tracking within the browser. Uh, this is creating concern for brands and advertisers who rely on this information for us to place the messaging. So uh, now a few months on, how is this going to practically play out? That's what we're going to discuss now. And joining us for this discussion is Eric Mayhall. Eric is a search engine optimization specialist who cut his teeth building and curating music industry web forums that garnered millions of visitors a month globally. He now works in the agency world optimizing brands across the country for online viewership, a task directly related to the topic at hand that we're going to talk about. We also happen to share a co-host. Brian and Eric host the weekly political commentary podcast, Leaning Middle, which can be found wherever you listen online. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on today. Yeah, so Eric, we wanted to bring you on because of all the, of all the people that, that, that we work with uh, and around, I think that, that, that you are going to be able to speak to this best and help people understand practically what is going on and separate the news and the PR from reality. So the idea here is that Apple came out and they said in a, in a huge push forward to, uh, you know, towards internet privacy, uh, all, all Safari browsers are now, are now coming uh, with, with full third-party uh, information blocking. Um, you're not going to be able to uh, collect information on people. You're not going to be able to really de deliver targeted things based on the information you get from them. And this is a huge step forward for Internet privacy. Um, and then that was back in March, and that's kind of the last we heard about it. Um, so do you want to speak a little bit more to, to what, uh, what happened right when they announced this? Yeah, absolutely. It is kind of a shocking development. Um, as you all have kind of stated already, the industry has been trending in this direction of protecting privacy of uh, their users for quite a while now. There's been a lot of legal battles, and um, obviously most people are familiar with the GDPR, which is the big um, legislation in the European Union, which requires um, all companies to give the option to opt out of third-party tracking. And Apple has kind of been on the forefront of making the online experience as anonymous as the individual might want. So when they went ahead and announced that Safari was going to automatically block all of that data, there was immediately kind of a panic from within the digital marketing industry, specifically because Google Analytics, um, as well as a lot of Google ad platforms, relies on all of this data that's kind of just collected automatically. And without that data being collected from Safari, which is, um, y'all talked about kind of the default option for when things come out of the box, is the default browser for um, iPhones. And since the majority of mobile traffic in the, uh, across the web is actually mobile phone-based, then it, you're seeing a, a significant chunk of the market share actually being taken out. So there was a lot of panic immediately. And then on the capitalist side, you immediately had people working to see how they could come around and kind of undo this and actually work alongside with Apple to be able to supply the analytics that are necessary to continue to have you know proactive and positive digital campaigns. Yeah, and I think it, it, that... From from a news side, from a PR side, uh, you know, Apple really wanted to make a showing that yes, we are we are the first that are making a full committed effort to you know uncompromisingly uh, put privacy ahead of everything else. 
Uh, and then from the standpoint of, I guess, practical usage, which is kind of what we talked about a little bit with Google, like how does this practically play out and what are the practical implications of it? You had a lot of people that were asking what, what Brian just asked a few minutes ago. It's like, don't you want advertising that is actually targeted towards you. There's a lot of uh, digital marketing agencies across the country were going, we have spent years trying to make sure that, uh, th that what we do and the strategies we put together actually target the kinds of people that would want this kind of stuff. But there is still this stigma of online advertising and digital advertising that uh, that it's spam, that it's just hitting you with the same message over and over, regardless of whether you want it or not. Why is the internet? Why is the internet following me around? Why is the internet telling me that I need to buy this product? Let me make my own decision. But the research shows that practically, um, it, and again, this is a free market thing, right? Like this would have fizzled out if this was not working. If the kinds of advertising put in place by uh, these companies that utilized this third-party information to provide targeted advertising wasn't working, it would have fizzled out. So the practical uh, application of, 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 of brands following you online uh, is that overwhelmingly over the years, it's worked itself out so that people get information on the products they want. Um, but... That that still it, it, it that that still doesn't address this idea of internet privacy and why 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 do you have rights to all of my information why do you think that you are able to have all of this information um, and, and use it and use it against me use it to to to, to follow me around. So Eric, what does what does this really mean at the end of the day for advertisers? So. It, people, you know, the end user is going okay. They're protecting my my privacy. For advertisers, what what kind of implication is this going to have, and what are where is this going to hinder, and where is this really just not going to disrupt too much at all? So and you should be used to me putting you on the spot like that. <laughs> well, across the board, it is um, there are some things that will be affected without a doubt. Um, specifically, the effectiveness of campaigns that rely on geofencing and location activity. That's going to be um, very, very difficult to collect that data from um, mobile devices, specifically using the Safari browser. Now, that being said, not every single piece of data is going to be blocked by Safari. So there are ways that advertisers can adapt. They'll still be able to understand what device is being used um, through the browser as well as basic search traffic. Now... That being said, it creates a new opportunity for advertisers to have to get creative. And I think that's where we're going to see some really unique offerings coming out of kind of the free market side of this argument is people will start to see, okay, how can we advertise to people without knowing their specific location? If we can only use very generalized IP addresses, um, if we can only use content and their interests, um, what can we do to kind of so make more effective. Yeah, so I think to your point right there, I think what this is going to do is this is actually going to play to the strength of some of the more experienced. Um, and I want to kind of just follow me on this. It's going to take me a second to get there. But uh -huh. some of the more older um, uh, marketers, because this is basically kind of taking a step back towards when before digital got here, when I got my start in, in television and that was really kind of what we did. Well, you know, we know that we're going to hit with this one commercial uh, X amount of people 
And with this strategy, you're going to hit them X amount of times, and that's reach and frequency. And you have to put your messaging in place and, and really take it from a, a approach where you don't, you're kind of shooting in the dark. You, you have enough light where you can, you can make your target, but you're still kind of shooting in the dark. I think that's where we're going to take a step back as well. And it's not going to be as targeted. What we as marketers have been really focusing on, on the paid side is not wasting any ad dollars and getting more spend in uh, and hit those targets more accurately without waste. And I think you're going to going to take a step back on that. That's kind of the paid side. What is the is this going to affect the optimization side at all? That's a great question. And honestly, it is interesting because Safari is not blocking all of the data that's being collected. It's just blocking the third-party collectors like Google Analytics. So if you still go on your iPhone and search you know, your closest McDonald's or your closest Wendy's, it will still be able to show you the maps there. So what we're going to see is a much bigger reliance on organic search and local search because where you, know, you could be competitive by running geofenced advertisements in the past, now you have to rely upon your uh, rankings coming up organically on whatever map platforms that you're searching upon. So if you go to Google on a Safari um, browser on any device, then Google Analytics won't be collecting the data, but Safari will still be collecting that data to make your uh, um, online browsing experience as easy and beneficial to what you're looking for as possible. So in, in a way, it's going to make you know, the reliance upon organic search and creating meaningful content for your websites uh, that much more important. Yeah, I think it, from, from what you two both said, it seems like it's going to go back to survival of the fittest. This is going to be a little bit of advertising Darwinism, a little bit of tech Darwinism, whereas uh, over the last 10 years or so, it's been survival of whoever knows how to use Google best. <laughs> and so yeah. the, this idea that a lot of a lot of freelancers and advertisers have appeared who have become uh, who have become very savvy in these certain specific third-party platforms that allow them to place advertising. I think that's where a lot of the stigma comes from. Is there's just this idea that like every everybody in their intern is just going to start it has just been using Google to just throw ads at me. So now there's going to be a lot more reliance on that traditional strategy. What used to make ad men uh, really stand out and very unique, and why a, a, a good ad agency was something to, to to be revered because they had the strategy and the creativity to use what was available. Like Brian said, they they were so good at hitting the target that they could shoot in the dark and hit it because they knew um, that, that they did the research. They had the years of experience in what consumers wanted uh, to be able to make those shots in the dark with, with, with very little at times uh, information. So it's going to kind of go back to that. It's going to be a little bit of the survival of the, so not, not just just the survival of who knows how to use a computer best, but truly a resurgence of creative thinking and strategy. That's, yeah, I'll oh, go ahead. I was going to say you hit the nail on the head because also to keep in mind, you know, this isn't blocking anybody's ability to go into Google and set up a campaign like they always have. Where it becomes tricky if somebody's using Safari is you're not going to be able to see 
conversions. You're not going to be able to see how your ads are actively, effectively, you know, working. So that's going to mess with a lot of the ability to make real-time adjustments to campaigns. So like you said, in terms of survival of the fittest with the organic side of search, that's going to be the exact same way for the paid side of uh, digital advertising as well, as we're going to see the people who really do know what they're doing still have decent and solid success in terms of serving ads. But the people who are relying on smart campaigns or relying on Google suggestions based off the analytics they've received, they're going to be hurting in a very big way. Yeah. And Eric, is this really, I mean, this is not a new concept, right? I mean, we have a browser out there that's already doing this, DuckDuckGo, but have they really gained much market share or have they grown or is this, this really kind of something that Apple's going to, to do but then maybe scale back or turn it in a different direction or maybe start their own AdWords um, segment? I think, um, yeah, DuckDuckGo is a, uh, a search engine that is entirely anonymous for anybody who isn't kind of aware of that. So it, it blocks everything and actually masks your IP address so none of the information is collected. And from my point of view, Apple's doing this for two major reasons, one of which is to kind of, I mean, very not subtly, stick it to Google. They've wanted to get um, much more competitive in this space, and obviously Google is their main competitor across several different industries that they are in. So by doing that, it helps them kind of create a market space where they can enter, as you said. But then the flip side of that is also this is a really good public relations move because a lot of people are worried, you know, constantly – I think the biggest thing that I hear from people in the street when I tell them I'm in digital advertising is, oh, you're the one who's listening to all my yes. conversations or my phone's recording this or that. And it's the, kind of the scary thing because but by, one, by all means, at one point in time, phones were recording uh, conversations, especially on apps like Facebook. But that hasn't really been the case for over seven years now. And what's kind of scary is people don't realize that just based off of their online behavior, Google can serve them ads so well that it makes it seem like somebody's listening to them. And that is um, creepy. You know, that's where people can kind of start to get scared and they start to get worried. And even Apple's taking privacy to a whole new level with the latest iOS update on the iPhone. Um, if you're on FaceTime or if you're using your microphone to record a voice memo, you'll actually get a little indicator light in the top corner of the screen that'll tell you that an application's either using your camera. I believe it is green if it's using the microphone and it is orange if the camera's being activated. So they're kind of doing a widespread launch of saying, hey, we're going to be as transparent as possible about how your information's being collected. And, you know, right off the bat, people who have this perceived, you know, preconceived uh, notion that they're being spied upon by advertisers, that's going to make them feel endlessly better and more yeah. secure. And it's also going to make them feel like that their data is more secure when really that's not the case. Yeah, transparency is huge and education is huge. This idea that, like like you said, now the, the tools we have at our disposal allow us to target people so well that it does seem like we're just listening in on everything that they're doing when the, when the reality of it is that uh, that 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 we have ways to develop strategy, and we have so much at our disposal to make sure that they are being targeted without needing to know exactly who they are, exactly where they live. We just know how to put the right messages in front of the right people at the right times. 
Yeah, and I'll challenge both of you guys though, because I still think they're listening on the phones. <laughs> and, and I think Kevin, I think you were already in our Albuquerque office, but I think Eric was in in that room. But we were talking; news had just come out. This is an example of, of how this works. But um, news had just come out that Baylor was starting a master's degree program in marketing, and uh, or a specific offshoot of marketing. I think it might have been digital marketing. And we were having a conversation about that in in the Eric's office, actually. And the next thing I know, Chelsea picks up her phone and there's an ad on her phone for Baylor University's marketing master's degree program. Yeah. And I, I I've had that happen as well, and that's why that's why everyone makes the the kind of joke that they're also kind of serious about. If they if uh, if Alexa's in the room, they talk more quietly, right? Well, but you know, it, it does lend itself to. I mean, there's an untrust about what we do, yeah. and uh, you know, for granted. I mean, we don't. It's not us that is sitting there listening. I mean, we don't have a room in the back of our office with headphones, people with headphones on, listening to all these cell phones and and everything else. But it is the fear that it is gathering information. It's probably not gathering information as much as she works on a Mac. Her phone is connected to her computer. She was doing a Google search about it. Therefore, it probably got in through through that way. But um, I think it is something scary. And I, I think I think Eric's kind of right. I mean, there's a, a part of it is a PR move. Um, I think that to circle back to our first topic, I think this is Apple attacking Google a little bit, which kind of reaffirms that maybe Google's not as big of a monopoly as they thought. I mean, there are other companies out there that are going after them that have just as big of a cash pile, if not bigger than Google. We're starting to actually see a lot of different companies start to revoke access across different apps because what gives Google the amount of power that it has is all the different integrations that are available, that it's worked with third-party companies, you know, from Facebook to Apple to kind of make these applications secure and also be able to collect data from them. And we're starting to see this trend uh, across the industry. You know, this last week... um, Facebook announced that they will be closing off their APIs for embedding Facebook and Instagram posts, which means that any posts that are embedded on websites through iframe codes will actually break and no longer be accessible. So I think what we're seeing is especially is kind of a reaction from the DOJ saying there's a lot of these monopolies out there and all of these companies, you know, these tech giants from Google, Apple, and Facebook um, are all starting to say like, okay, let's shrink our environment down to proprietary level, and then it'll be much more difficult for antitrust lawsuits to kind of hit us. So I think we're going to see a reaction in the industry to this um, attempt at an antitrust suit on Google to actually make web development um, a little more difficult. It's going to be harder to tie things together because those custom integrations won't any longer be available. So as a professional in the field, Eric, I guess to kind of, to kind of wrap it up, you, what is your final take? Do you want to see more of this? Would you like to see this become more of an open marketplace where ultimately professionals are going to have to be better and work harder to uh, make the same kind of success come about? Or are you okay with uh, the, the, the larger groups making it easier for the access of this kind of information? Where do you want to see it go? 
Where I would like to see it go is to make the information um, as accessible as possible. You know, I think a lot of people are getting upset because they don't really realize what they're doing when they download Chrome. And I mean, you know, I know nobody has read the 45-page user agreement. They click agree. It's the exact same thing when they make a social media account is people are really quick. They don't want to read into the details and they'll just kind of jump through very complex user agreements. But where the industry is trending and what I will say is the ultimate winner of it will be the company that is able to um, allow people to opt in to give their data in terms of actually receiving some level of payment for giving that company their data. That's where things are trending to. I mean, what that might look like and the amount of money you might get is probably going to be negligible comparatively. But it's the whole idea of if your online does your online behavior qualify as your personal property, and that's kind of the cases that we're starting to see now. And personally. I think it does, you know, as much as a lot of my job is to use that data that's publicly available to craft campaigns. I do also understand the idea that, okay, you know, when I'm online and I'm doing things in my home, it should be treated just as, you know, anybody shouldn't be able to set up security cameras in my home. Of course, you know, with the Ring and Alexa, we're setting up monitoring <laughs> systems 24-7. But I digress. The whole idea is I think it should be available, but we need to give users a very easy way to opt into collection. We don't need to make it part of a 45-page agreement. It can just be a checkbox that says, would you like to use cookies to make your browsing data more um, specified to what you're looking for, or would you like a more generalized experience? And even making that an option every single time you log onto a browser would probably be relatively easy. Yeah. And so the answer is not necessarily to try and hold these big tech companies feet to the fire and say, you need to stop doing this. It's more, we need to figure out a new status quo that allows what you are doing to be more uh, openly scrutinizable or scrutable by uh, the public. And that education does need to take place in order to come to a middle ground where people understand that if you want to be opted in to this, you will receive more targeted, often more valuable information. If you don't, it will make you feel better about your privacy and the way your information is being used. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Eric, thank you so much for uh, for your insights on that. Again, uh, Eric Mayhall, uh, check him and Brian out on uh, Leaning Middle, their political podcast that they do weekly, uh, especially right now. we got a few weeks left, so uh, go, uh, go check out what they have to say on that stuff. Um, Eric, thanks for joining us. Thanks again, everybody. Y'all have a good rest of your day. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. All right. Well, that's all for today's show. Um, and as we close, uh, we'll leave you with some wisdom from years past. We like to say that famous ad men often became so for the merits of their words. So in the interest of that, we'd like to end every show by leaving you with a little bit of wisdom um, from those advertisers in the past that had that something extra when it came to strategy, came to words, uh, something that we can all learn from. That quote today comes from Scott Cook. Um, I, I chose this one because it was somewhat relative to what we're, we're talking about, but Scott Cook said, a brand is no longer what we tell the consumer it is. It is what consumers tell each other it is.
thanks for for listening and we'll see you next time